Good morning again. Welcome to the White House Bible Church today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for who you are. We want to praise you for your righteousness and your justice and your love. And we thank you, Father, for sending us Jesus Christ, your Son, died for us on the cross, was buried, and then on the third day raised him from the dead. We thank you, Father, that salvation is so simple for us, that we hear that good news and believe it, and we're saved. We thank you for giving us eternal life and for declaring us righteous the moment we believe in your Son. We thank you for the Word of God, Father. We thank you for one another, for the body of Christ. We ask this morning, Father, that the Holy Spirit who indwells us would inspire us, would allow us to hear the meaning and what it is that you want us to particularly pay attention to today in the Word of God. And we pray also, Father, for the persecuted church and all Christians who are undergoing suffering at this time. I want to especially pray, Father, this morning as well for the people in El Paso who have been affected by this, net, this latest uh, domestic terrorism attack. We would just pray, Father, for our country that, uh, that these kind of things would uh, not be happening and that, that whatever those causes are, Father, that, that you would get to the root of them and um, help this country get over this. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Got the changing of the guard back there. It's good. Everybody's looking around. I shouldn't have said anything. Good morning again, everybody. Again, welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. As we get started today, we have a few introductory um, remarks that we want to give announcements. This month's a new month, and we every every month we feature a missionary organization or a missionary. And this month we're we're featuring Pastor Kingsley Emaniki. Of course, he was here a couple of months ago. Matter of fact, there he is, right in front of our church. When he was here a couple of months ago, he's uh, originally from Nigeria. He now lives in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He he has a ministry to to Africa. And as a matter of fact, in uh, about a month from now, a little over a month actually. Uh, beginning on the 18th of September, he is going to be taking a mission trip to South Africa. And uh, there's South Africa, right down there. A lot of you may know that, but I just wanted to point something out to you because that's Edmonton. So that's a good long trip there. And uh, you never know what's going to happen in God's plan. You know, he's originally here from Nigeria. He goes to Edmonton. He travels down here. He also has missionary work he does in East Africa and West Africa. So that's what he does um, he also has a family. He has four, four daughters and a wife. And we just pray for him as he plans for this, prepares for this. We would ask you to do the same. And um, if there's any ability for you to provide uh, any financial support for that trip or for his family, we would, uh, of course, welcome that. And this is the kind of thing where um, he doesn't have a website. So this is uh, his name. And if you'd like to um, donate, you can just... Uh, Write a check to us and put his name on the comment, comment section and we'll make sure he gets that. And again, please keep him in prayer. Pastor Kingsley Emaniki. Again, his trip to South Africa is coming right up. It's September 18th through the 30th. And please keep that in prayer as well. Today's the first Sunday of the month and that means we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper today at the end of service. Looking forward to that. And then starting next week, and actually only next week, we're going to have our summer break, our vacation, Monday, August 5th through Sunday, August 11th. 
And I just want to thank, today we're going to talk about people doing their duty, and I want to thank the people here at Lighthouse Bible Church that do your duty so faithfully so that we can continue to gather and, and all the things that are needed for this building, for the food and cleaning and taking care of the kids, all the things that people do. I want to thank you for that. And as I mentioned, that's a needed break for everybody this week as well. So we're looking forward to that. That means, of course, that on this Thursday we will not be having Bible study as we normally do. And next Sunday, we will not be having our service. We'll pick things up again the following Thursday with our Bible study on, the, on August 15th. All right, today's message comes again from the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. And the title of today's message is, Run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you may win. There is such a thing as exhort, exerting effort in the Christian way of life with a goal in mind that you want to achieve. The goal is laid out for us by the Lord, but we are called to run with exertion in a way, such a way that we may win. And we'll see, of course, all about that this morning. So please, at this time, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. And we'll begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. <clears throat> run in such a way that you may win. 1 Corinthians 9, 13. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. That's where we ended that last week, and we saw Paul laying out a whole case for that. But then, as we saw in in verse 11 last week, we see the same thing in verse 15. But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, Paul writes. And he says, it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. For I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I still have a stewardship entrusted to me a duty. What then is my reward when I do it voluntarily? Very simply, that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without law, as though without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, the law of love, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Don't do you not know that those in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, eternal one. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, as with a purpose. 
I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I am the Lord's slave. I'm the slave to serve everybody, and my body is my slave. Well, chapter 9, as we saw, it advances Paul's argument. He he has one argument, big argument that he's making from chapter 8, 9, and 10. And that's all about one thing. It's all about concerning meat sacrificed to idols. And everything that he puts in these three chapters is advancing that one thing, that we should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. And the reason why is love. We saw that love for God means that we don't want to have anything that even touches the idea of idolatry. And love for one another makes us realize that there are certain things we have the freedom to do, but we don't do them because there's a chance that they may harm our brother and sister. So our love for God and one another will require all of us. This isn't just Corinthians in the first century. We all have these situations. And we are called and we should, and our love will require us to give up some of our rights and freedoms for the benefit of others, or to serve the Lord in the way he's called us to serve him. In chapter 9, then, Paul's saying to him, he's saying, look, let me show you how that's done. Chapter 8, he introduces the thing, the principle, this principle. And then in chapter 9, he's saying, now, I'll show you how it's done. Basically saying, don't just listen to what I tell you, see it in action in my life. Those things line up, and they have to. If after all, if, if, if a preacher is exhorting people to change their lives in order for the goal, then he has to do the same thing in his life. Okay? If he doesn't, he's a hypocrite. So Paul and Barnabas, his partner, endured so many things. We saw this earlier in 1 Corinthians. Hunger, thirst. They were treated roughly. They were slandered. All of these things, and they endured them all. And the purpose of enduring them and not quitting was so that nothing would ever hinder the preaching of the gospel of Christ. They understood the goal. They knew what the end end result had to be. They, They knew the finish line they were headed. They knew the fight they were fighting. And it all had to do with preaching the gospel of Christ. And the point that he is trying to make to the Corinthians and to us is since they, Paul and Barnabas, had given up so much for the sake of the gospel, he turns to the saints and he says to them, you should be willing to give up eating certain meat for the sake of the brethren. He says the same thing to us. He said there are certain things that you should be willing to give up, even though you have the right to them, in order to, for the sake of the brethren, in order for your service, your calling, your duty. Verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done in my case. Don't get the wrong idea. For a matter of fact, it would be better for me to die, Paul says. Better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Remember, his only boast is in the Lord. And so he's saying it's better for me to die than for my boast to be made an empty one. For people to think that what I'm saying about the Lord, I don't really believe. He says in verse 15, I have used none of these things. Remember, this refers to rights and freedoms. Paul mentioned this throughout the first section, verse 1 to 14 of this chapter. When he says these things, he's talking about the the right to eat and drink. He's talking about the right to take a believing wife with him. To to refrain from working a second job. And he says, look, I should be reaping material things from the saints because I'm sowing spiritual things. And yet he did without that. He did, he did without the principle of getting his living from the gospel. Why? 
because he doesn't, not because he wants them to now start doing that. As a matter of fact, that's the opposite. He says, I'm not, I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. He doesn't want the Corinthians to think that he's been writing this as a prelude so that then he can start sending them the bills. That's not why he's doing this. As a matter of fact, he says, I'd rather die than to have anyone cause to label me, Paul says, as a con man. Or as you will say later in 2 Corinthians, as one who peddles the word of God. I don't want anyone to ever get that idea in their head. Why? Because he's doing all things for the gospel, not for the money. And he wants as many to be possible to be saved. So he certainly isn't going to let money get in the way of the goal. It's not going to be an obstacle. It's not going to be a stumbling block to anybody. He'd rather die than that to happen. In other words, he's living for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he thought that he was going to do something that was going to be an obstacle to the preaching of the gospel, he'd rather die than do that. That's how intense his love for the Lord and his understanding of his focus, his one purpose in life was. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Why? In other words, he can't brag and boast and have people point to him as a great apostle because he preaches the gospel. Why? He's under compulsion. Remember, he's a slave of Christ. He's under compulsion. In the same way, a slave doesn't get to say, well, today I'm going to do what my master wants, but tomorrow I'm not. By the way, we don't either. (laughs) Whatever it is that the master, Jesus Christ, has placed in our lives as our duty, that's a compulsion. It's not, it's not optional. That's what Paul is saying. I understand my duty. I'm under compulsion. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Now, there'll be times when he just does it because he wants to, but don't make any mistake. He's just, he was as human as we are. There'll be times when he didn't want to do it. Can we all have an amen to that? We have, we have a calling on our life, and there's times when we're really excited and we want to do it, and then there are other times when we're like, oh, I have to do that again, right? That's, that's, that, look, let's be honest, that's the human, we try to pretend that's not the case, you know. We try to pretend we're hyper-spiritual Christians and we always love it. Well, that's not true. Let's be honest with ourselves. There's some times when we don't want to make the phone call, don't want to make the visit, don't want to turn up to church on a Tuesday to clean or to fix something that's not here, that's not, that's broken. We don't always want to do that. But we do it. You know, we understand that's our duty to do it. You know, there's times when a Sunday morning comes and I'm, you know, I'm hitting that button a couple of times, you know, the button on the alarm clock, you know. And there's other times where I wake up and I'm so excited. That's just being human. And yet the point is, is that we have a duty in either case, in either case. Okay. He says, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. I am under compulsion. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. All right? He rewards the fact that when we voluntarily, freely choose to do it, and we want to do it. But even if it's against my will, you know, I don't want to do it. He's still going to do it. Why? Because he has a stewardship entrusted to him. The Lord has entrusted him with the calling of preaching the gospel to him who's throughout the known world. And that's a stewardship that he had. He had to do it. It, it would be as if somebody had given you a stewardship to run a business. And you're under compulsion to do it. It's not voluntary. If you don't do it, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be hurt. Even in a family, parents have a duty to their children. It's not optional. And that's the way Paul saw the preaching of the gospel. But he knows that, again, the the principle is this. When he preaches the gospel, he's only doing his duty. 
Remember, he is a slave of Christ. He will say that many times in his epistles. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a servant of the Lord. He has given me a duty. He has given me a stewardship. He has given me a job to do. He has given me an objective to seek. And I'm going to do that as my duty. He understood that. He, he knows, though, too, that when, I, when he does it voluntarily, freely, cheerfully, with a pure heart, he's going to have reward for that. But even if he doesn't want to do it, he realizes that it's his duty as a steward to preach the gospel. Just like as elders and pastors, we have a duty as a steward to you. It's not optional. It's something that we are called to do, that is our duty to do. And you know, in the same way that Paul saw this, he's only doing his duty, we would do well to adopt the same attitude toward our Christian service. Each one of us. Each one of us has a duty in the church. And we would do well to have the same attitude Paul had. When I do that, I'm just doing my duty. I shouldn't get special praise and acknowledgement for that. I'm doing my duty to the Lord. Please turn to Luke chapter 17. Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. Luke chapter 17, 7. His disciples were quite a crew. And on the night before Jesus died, they were all arguing with one another about who's the greatest. And you can imagine what some of the things they were saying were. Right? I did this, I did that, I was closer to the Lord here. And, you know, boasting in themselves and forgetting the principle that whatever you've done, it was your duty. It was a a tremendous calling to be an apostle. And that's your duty to, to whom much is given, much is required. It doesn't say to whom much is given, much is optional, right? Required. And I think that, you know, all of us sometimes need to look in the mirror of the word of God and ask ourselves whether that's our attitude. Is that our attitude? Look at Luke 17, 7. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? You see, Paul had both of those things. He was plowing as an apostle, and he was tending the sheep, taking care of the, of the flock, the people. But he says, when I'm done with my work that day, I don't get special treatment. You know, the, the one who, own, who owns the field, the one who has sheep, will not say to him who comes in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. Won't he say to him instead, prepare something for me to eat, and properly close yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. The reward, by the way, comes at the end. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? I mean, think of a military context. You have a a major, and he's commanding, and he tells people, you need to go and and assault the hill, right? You guys need to take care of the weaponry. You guys, all the things that that need to be done that they're commanded to do. He doesn't go around and thank, maybe he does, but he doesn't have to go around and thank, thank you so much for the fact that you did your duty today and we weren't wiped out by the enemy, you know. No, it was what they were commanded to do. Now, we're not under the law, okay? A lot of people think every time they see the word command, it means one of the commandments in the Mosaic law, but it doesn't really mean that. We're not under that at all. But it doesn't mean that we don't have things commanded of us. We're commanded, for example, to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're commanded to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, right? Just as Christ has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. We're commanded to do that. And many other things as well. Whatever our spiritual gift is, Paul will say this in Romans 12. If you have the gift of teaching, I command you to teach. If you have the gift of giving, 
I command you to give. If you have the gift of preaching the word, I command you to do that. If you have the gift of mercy, I command you to do that. Go be merciful. Those are commands. Okay? And again, we would do well to think of it that way. He goes on in verse 9. He says, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too. When you do all the things which are commanded, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done what, that which we ought to have done. We have only done that which we ought to have done. Now, Paul does say here that if he voluntarily, in other words, you know, we are not slaves, but we are sons, right? There is that relationship we have with the Father. He wants nothing more than for us to freely line up with his will. To freely, as a son, cheerfully say, Dad, I'm going to do that because I'm your child, I'm your son, and that's what we do. You see, when we have that attitude, there's, that's what gets rewarded, that attitude. But what is that reward? What was that reward for Paul? Well, that's verse 18. Let's take a look at it. What then is my reward? This is his reward. Notice this carefully, that when I preach the gospel... I may offer the gospel without charge, hmm. so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge. This is his reward. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now let's, let's face it. At first glance, doesn't this seem like a contradiction? My reward is not to make full use. My reward is not to charge. To get nothing out of this. Doesn't seem like a reward. How can it be a reward not to make full use of our rights? How can offering the gospel without charge be a reward? Well, it all depends on what you think is rewarding. You see, yes, naturally we think of rewards in terms of material things. You know, if you think about it in the workplace and so forth. Money is a reward. Prizes is a reward. Crowns, medals, a vacation is a reward. We think of the material things first, but Paul did not see it that way. Please turn to Philippians. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 9, but go to Philippians chapter 3 to see what Paul has to say about his understanding of what a real reward is. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. When I preach the gospel, he said, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make use, full use of my right in the gospel. Why? What did he see as rewarding as a prize? Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal. There it is. That racing toward the goal. Doing his duty for the prize of what? Does he say crowns? Does he say money? Does he say medals? A vacation? No, he says none of those things. What is the prize? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He saw everything leading. When he was finished with that race, he understood that he would be in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that really the call we have, even though it's, it's here on earth, which you maybe call horizontal, it's actually an upward call. And remember, we should always have our eyes fixed on the Lord, right? Think on the things above, not on the things of this world. You see, that's what Paul did. He defined his reward in terms of the things above. And when you do that, then whenever you preach the gospel without reward, without being paid, when you don't make full use of your rights as we do, we look at the fact that we have rewarded in heaven. 
we keep our eyes on what that means up there, right? And we understand that we're developing a love relationship, our love for the Lord, and we're learning about how to be loving children to the Lord, to the Father. And so that when we do things on earth that show that we are willing to sacrifice, that there's something we value more, we're actually developing our understanding of God's love for us. We're developing our, our relationship with the Lord in that sense. And he understood that to be way more important. He understood the unbelievable, unfathomable riches that exist in Christ. He had his, he had his eyes on Christ. Why? Because he died, he said. I'm crucified with Christ, he said. Not literally, but in terms of his attitude towards life, in the terms of the way he saw the world. I've been crucified to the world. It has no value to me. My only value is in the Lord, you see? And we can say that, but how did he understand? How did he experience that? It was by giving up the things of the world, right? Not as a martyr, right? But as somebody who understood that when there are times when the things of the world, maybe even things I need, will be obstacles to my upward call. You see it? And if that's the case, then you have to give up those things, even though you have the right to them, because of your upward call, your duty to the Lord. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He would say also, please turn to Philippians 4.1 to see what he says as well. He says specifically something about his crown. But I want you to see what he says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, writing to the, the, the Philippians, the church in Philippi, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So what was his crown? It was very simple. The churches that he founded. Why? Because he understood that his duty in life, his calling, his mantle, his stewardship was to preach the gospel so that as many as possible could be saved. And when he was participating in that, his only reward, it wasn't to be compensated financially. It wasn't to be recognized. It was what? To see people saved. The churches that he founded were his crown. The people who were saved through his preaching were his crown. That was the only reward he needed. And, and again, we, we should have developed that same attitude that, we, look, it's nice, it's nice when people recognize this, even say thank you, and all, it is. It's real nice. Nothing wrong with them doing that. In fact, we should accept that. But there's, but there's really something great about doing it anyway, even when you don't get that. That shows you you have your mind in the right place, up in the upward call of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And he knew something else. He knew when that crown would be given. He knew when that reward would come. You see, if we're only looking at this life and what we can get out of this life, okay, we're going we're gonna to tend to gravitate towards the things of this life and define the rewards we want. Okay? But when we are oriented to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, we understand that, you know, it's not what happens now that matters. You see, the reward will come in the future. It will come at the end of the race. And isn't that true for a race? I mean, if, if, you're, if you're leading halfway through the race, there's somebody, one of the officials run out and say, here's your first crown, you're leading halfway through. No, you have to what? Finish the race and win. And then you have your reward. 
He understood the same thing about the Christian way of life. He's on a calling. He's on a mission. He is to run as fast as he can forward. Forget what's before. I'm going to reach forward to what lies ahead. And, and at the end of that, that's when the Lord will be there at the finish line. And that's when I'll receive my reward. The, the crown of all the people that came to Christ because of my preaching, he says. That's the reward he's looking for. The reward of serving his Lord freely. It's its own reward. Please turn to 2 Timothy 4, written at the end of Paul's life. 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6. He's in prison. Now, when you're in prison, you don't expect to be rewarded, right? You don't expect the people giving you a lot of gifts and rewards and recognition and acclaim. No, right? So therefore, when you're there, all you have is what you have in the Lord. All you have is an appreciation for even in prison that you can be there doing the will of God if that's where he has you. And that there'll be a reward someday, even though your current circumstances are terrible. You see it? And yet, where was his thinking? He's writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the Lord. He knows he's about to die. And he gives this as the mindset that he wants Timothy to take up. He describes, again, he's an example. He's a role model. What does he write? He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That meant that he had sacrificed so much, and now he's going to sacrifice his life. I am being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. He knows he's going to die. Then what does he write? I have fought the good fight. In other words, the the boxing match is over, and he fought the, the good fight. I have finished the course. The race is over. And I've run in such a way that I may win. I've kept the faith. In the future, see, this is the mindset. In the future, there is laid up for me, upward call, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, a righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He understood self-sacrifice. He understood self-discipline. That your rewards would not come right away. You know, so much of us, let's say we're, we're having some self-discipline in the area of losing weight, right, and exercising. And what are we looking for, the reward? We're looking to step on that scale and to see the number go down. That's our reward, right? We want that immediate gratification. And if we don't do that within the first week, we're ready to throw out the diet and do what we want again, you know. Well, Paul didn't do that, you know. He said, no, I'm not doing this from week to week. For, to see what I'm, what I'm going to be rewarded for my progress necessarily. I'm looking at the end. I'm looking, at the, I'm looking forward. I'm running. I look at that finish line. And I'm not going to think about anything in my way or around me. I'm just going to dash for that. Then he says, in the future. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, eyes on the Lord, will award to me on that day. That his judgment seat, when he's evaluating our lives, on that day, Paul will receive the crown of righteousness. And he says, not only to me, but also to all who have what? Loved his appearing. When he, when he preached the gospel freely, it showed that he loved the Lord. That he loved the fact that he had come and proclaimed salvation. The fact that he had died. What, what gospel would Paul have been able to preach if Christ hadn't come and died and been raised from the dead? He'd have no gospel. So he loved that his appearing, as well as his appearing to Paul, to Saul of Tarsus. At that moment, his life completely changed and turned around. He loved all of that. And he says, the same love that I have for the Lord and the fact that he came, everyone who also has that love 
will also get the crown of righteousness. You see? And that's what, he, that's what he holds out to Timothy. He knew his reward would come in the future at the end of the race. Okay, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 9. Let's continue in this passage. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. His reward was not to charge for the gospel, not to make full use of his rights. Then he talks about what he is doing and where, how his reward is developing in his life. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.19. For though I am free from all men, he had said earlier that I will not be a slave to anybody. I'll be, I am free from all men. I'm not doing this for the approval of men. I'm not, I'm not doing this for the financial support that men will give me. I'm free from all of that. However, I've made myself a slave to all. Notice, he made himself. He didn't have to. He voluntarily gave up his freedom. I have made myself a slave to all. He said, whatever it takes to get somebody to believe in Christ, I will do it. In that sense, he was their slave. Why? One reason. So that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew. So that I may win Jews. He did things. He changed his lifestyle. He, did, he made accommodations. Whatever it was that would cause the Jewish people to give him a hearing with the gospel. He did that. He said, to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law. So he, he lived as though he were under the law, even though he wasn't. So that I might win those who are, are under the law. You see, he, he was... He was looking at the people he was preaching to, and he, had a, he was looking to see what about me could be an obstacle to them. You know? And I'm going to change that. That's what, that's what his attitude was. All right? he, he wasn't being a phony, but he was realizing that if I'm going to do something or wear something or say something, that's going to be an obstacle, an affront to these people, other than the gospel, which he would never change. All right? I'm going I'm to change that about me so that they will give me a hearing. I'm going to illustrate this in a moment. Then he goes in verse 21. He's saying the same thing, but he's talking about all different kinds of people so that we can get a picture of what he's saying. He says, to those who are without law, the Gentiles, without law, as without law. And he wants to emphasize here too, as, as without law, but it doesn't mean I am, not, I am without any law. That's not the point. In other words, he may, he may be as without law in the way in which he adjusts. You know, he's Jewish, but he's adjusting to people that don't follow the, the Mosaic law, and therefore he's going to make adjustments in order for them to be giving him a hearing of the gospel. As, as without law, not I have become without law, but as without law. He says, I'm not, I'm not being under the law of God, the Mosaic law, but I am under the law of Christ, the law of love, so that I may win those who are without law. To the weak, to the weak I became weak. It's interesting, by the way, he didn't say I became as weak, here, he actually became weak. That's a difference. Then I might win the weak. And then here's the general principle. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Whatever means he had to take in order to get a hearing of the gospel, he would do it. I become all things to all men. I do all things. Look at his single-mindedness. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. 
when you think about that. From the time he woke up in the morning to the time he went to bed at night, everything he did was for the gospel. That's pretty amazing. It really is when you think about everything that he did. That's a sacrifice. A lot of things he wanted to do, he didn't do. Because he realized that, well, that wasn't really contributing anything to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so I'm not going to do it. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now, it's clear in this section from verse 19 to 23, Paul wants to win. He wants to win as much as he can. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're trying to win the right things. right? But I want you to notice how many times in this section... He uses the word win. Verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. Why? So that I may win more. He wants to win. In verse 20, he wants to win the Jews. He also in that verse wants to win those who are under the law. He wants to win. He wants to win those who are without law. In 22, he wants to win the weak. And then he says, I'm doing this to save some and I do it for the sake of the gospel. He wanted to win the race. What was the race? To get as many people as possible to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to win. Now, he also says all things in verse 23. What is that? Well, it's these kind of things. It's social practices. You know, like a silly example. But let's, let's say that you know, here in America, we shake with our right hand. But in some country, they shake with their left hand. He's not going to extend his right hand out. He's going to be whatever they expect him to be. You know, if you're in Britain, you don't drive on the right side of the road. You know, you drive on the left side of the road. So there are these things, social things, social understanding. Like, like in that time, remember when Jesus went into the house of the Pharisee and he said, I came in here and nobody gave me anything to drink. Nobody gave me a, a basin to wash myself in. Nobody did that. That was, that was dishonoring him. Now, in reality, that was just a social custom. Right? But the point is, is that you should pay attention to that. That might be the reason, if you're not getting a hearing for the gospel, it might be because of something like that. Okay? Silly stuff can, can set people off. You know, there are some homes where people want you to take your shoes off. You know, and we, and we can think ourselves, well, I don't need to do that. You know? Well, but if you're there to, to preach the gospel and teach them the Bible, you better do that. Because that could be an obstacle. They may think, oh, you know, this guy doesn't think much of me. I'm not going to listen to him. So there are these social kind of practices, cultural practices, food and so forth. Dress, how people dress, right? If you, if you go to a, to a country in Africa and they, they don't have, they have hardly any clothes on, you know, and every time you show up, you're in a parka, you know, it'd be like, what's wrong with this person? You know, you should dress as they dress. Right? I remember recently when... Uh, when Gene Cunningham was in Pakistan for celebrating the opening of the new building, the Fassel and, and the Grace Bible Church Pakistan, he was dressed like that. He was dressed like one of them. I don't know if you remember that picture. You know, that was not the outfit he would be wearing if he was you know, in, in South Florida. But he did it there because he wanted to be all things to all people so that by all means he may save some. Now, though that's the case, that he's willing to change his dress, even his language, learn the language of the people. You know, you show up and you, you have an interpreter so you can st- keep speaking English. You know, and the interpreter's an unbeliever, so he keeps changing things. But, so what, so what do you do? You learn the language. That's another, that's the way you bridge the gap. Isn't it true? 
You know, isn't it true for you? I mean, isn't it nice when you're in a foreign country if someone recognizes there that you speak English and they try to speak English? It means a lot, even if they're fumbling. and It doesn't matter, you know, same thing with us. If we're trying to witness to somebody and we can't even speak their language, it's tough. So that's another cultural thing, eating customs. We'll see more about that in a minute. Now he said, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became as, as a Gentile. I want, to illustrate what, what, I want to illustrate this with a couple of things. The first one is what he did. Whoops. Okay, before I do that, though, hold that. Hold that thought, Jew and Gentile. But I want to make another point about what all things are not so that we don't get the wrong idea. Social practices, yes. Cultural, yes. But nothing sinful. Nothing sinful. You shouldn't engage in sinful activity because the people you're witnessing are engaging in sinful activity. No, you know can't say, well, you know, these people are having um, all kinds of sex with all kinds of women. Great. I'm going to be as they are. No. Nothing sinful. Why? Because that in and of itself will hurt your witness. Right? And also nothing that would compromise the gospel message. You know, I'm going to change the gospel message to make it more palatable. People do that not only in foreign countries. They do it right here. You know? No, that's not really the idea. You're not seeker-sensitive if you're changing the message of the gospel. That's not the point. That's not the all things that Paul has in mind. But here's what he did do. For the Jew, here's something that he did. He would always teach in the synagogue. And because, why? Because he knew that's where they would gather, that's what they were used to, accustomed to, hearing preaching. So that's what he did. And he always went on a Saturday because that's what they were accustomed to. You know, if we, were, if we were in a situation where nobody could come on a Sunday, but everybody was available on Tuesday, what should we do? We should change the service to Tuesday. There's nothing sacred about doing it on Sunday. You see it? Those are the kind of things that they're not essentials. They're just freedoms and things we're used to, but sometimes we have to put away what is comfortable for us in order to reach the unbelievers. So that's what he did. He went to the synagogue. He went on Saturdays because that's where we were there. All right, I want to illustrate the Gentiles. Okay? I'm not going to illustrate something about Paul here, something up to date. Okay? I want to talk about is eating rat. You may say, what? Yeah, eating a rat. And this is a story that is Kingsley told. This is something that was, he had to do in order to get a hearing for the gospel. In many ethnic groups in Nigeria and other Western African nations, Giant rat is considered a delicacy. There it is in the marketplace. Now, now here's the thing. When I first saw their picture, I said, I said, that doesn't look that much different from roasted chicken. Right? So if you just hold your nose and just eat it, it might not be so bad. Maybe, maybe it'll take a while. But here's the point, though. That's considered a delicacy in West African nations. By the way, they also eat it throughout the Orient. You know, uh, Cambodia and Vietnam and delicacy. So here's what might happen. This is what did happen to Kingsley. He was, he, when he went to a, a, a gathering, they reserved the rat for their important guests that they wanted to honor. In this case, that was Kingsley. They said, we're going to serve you the, mo- the greatest delicacy that we have around. And it's fried giant rat. But here's the thing. To refuse to eat the rat would be taken as a great insult. 
You know, think about in our country. Somebody spends $200 on lobsters. And then and they're honoring you. You're the guest of honor. And you say, eh, I'm not going to eat that. You know, that's an insult. We don't think, we don't think of it that way because we're self-centered. But that really is an insult. Same thing here. So Kingsley ate the rat. Because if he had not, because of that insult to them, that would have been the end of his opportunity to preach the gospel. That would be done. He wouldn't be able to do it. So what happened? Kingsley became as they were in this practice so that he may win some to Christ. And that is a great use of freedom. I wouldn't see it. And of course, that was what Paul was trying to get across. And that's the opposite of what the Corinthians were doing. They were continuing to eat what they thought they had the freedom to eat and having no consideration for others. The opposite. Okay. Not Paul, though. He kept racing toward his goal. He wanted to save as many people as he could before he died. Would that be our attitude? Would that we would think every day, I want to save as many as I can before I die? Now, we may have a different duty than that, but whatever it is, you should have the same attitude about it. If, if, if your calling is to teach, then you're gonna, your attitude is, I want to teach as many people as I can before I die. If your attitude, or whatever your calling is, or I want to be a great teacher to the 20 people the Lord has given me. Whatever it is, but you do with all your might. That's your focus. That's your calling. That's your duty. Again, everything Paul did, everything was for the sake of the gospel. Everything. And he says here as well that he wants to become a fellow partaker of the gospel. Now you might think, believe me, this is a place where people who want to teach and you can lose your salvation, they jump on this for us. People that want to teach that you won't know if you're saved till the end of your life, they want to jump on this verse. They want to see, see, Paul isn't even a fellow partaker of the gospel yet. He doesn't even think he's saved yet. Wrong. That is not at all what he's saying. So please, the next time somebody tries to use this verse in that way, just walk away. He's not saying that at all. So what is he saying? What does it mean to become a fellow partaker of the gospel. It means a full partner. That's really what it means. I want to be a full partner in the gospel. He wanted a partner with Christ to the fullest extent. He wanted to be a partner with Christ in preaching the good news. You see, that's how he became a fellow partaker in it. Because the gospel message is, is, is given in order that somebody might be saved. And when, somebody, when, somebody gives, when you give somebody the gospel, you're partaking in the gospel doesn't mean he needed it for himself. He wanted to participate in it for others. He wanted to participate by partnering with Christ in teaching the good news. And there's something else about being a partaker of the gospel. And this is, goes right along with it. And that is that he wanted to be a full partner in the cross. Not that he would die for the sins of the world. Not that he would even die on a Roman cross. But the principle of suffering for the good of others. That's how also he became a partaker in the gospel. Like he'll say in the book of Philippians, I want to know, I want to participate in his sufferings. Right? He wants to do that because that's what the gospel message is. God the Father gave his son as a sacrifice. His son became man. Talk about, talk about adopting things of the people you want to reach. God became man to do that. And he went to die on the cross. All of that was for others. And so Paul was, was willing to do that. Willing to suffer hardship willing to do without things, all for the good of other people. 
He remember he disregarded. He understood every time he was preaching a crucified savior in that world. He was, he was being shamed for that. Remember, some of the Greeks saw that as foolishness. They'd be laughing at him. The Jews would see it as a scandal. They'd be ready to rip him apart. Why did Paul do that? All for the joy set before him of reaching souls and winning them. So here's a question I have for you this morning. Does your life, does your life have a single ultimate objective? Now, obviously, there's certain objectives every day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about ultimately. Do you say to yourself, my single ultimate objective is this? Think about, do you have one? And if so, what is it? And if you don't have one, why not? And if, if you have something that's worldly, why is that? See, this is a time for us to evaluate ourselves and be honest about that. Do we have a single ultimate objective? objective in our lives. If it were you that was writing this paragraph, rather than Paul, how would it read? How would it read? I do, put yourself in this, I, John Farley, I, you, I do all things for the sake of, what would that word be? What would that expression be? Now, believe me, everybody is not going to say the gospel. If, If everybody says that, you're not telling the truth. Okay, let's be honest here, okay? When you think about your life, how you orient yourself, how you structure your day, the things that are priorities, the things that you have to get to, what are they? You know, I do all things for the sake of what? My family. I do all things for the sake of my bank account, my retirement, whatever those things might be, my comfort, okay? These are all things that if people are being honest, in many cases, that's what they'd have to write. I do all things for the sake of what? so that I may become what? You see, that's the other thing. You see, in order for us to pursue a goal, we're going to become people that are associated with that goal. You know, If people who are only after riches, they're going to become greedy people. You see it? So that what you're doing things for, you become. And so I want you to take that with you and fill it out. And if you look at it and you say, I really don't like that when I actually come to terms with it, then change it. Just change it. It's that simple. Okay? This might not be the gospel in your case, okay? But it has to be Christ, and it's probably something particular about what God has given you as a duty to serve Christ, whatever that might be. Maybe it is just to be a good parent. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it is to teach. Maybe it is to, to give. Maybe it is to be merciful to others. And you're to do that with all your might because I'm doing all things for the sake of mercy for other people because that's what the Lord has placed on me as my stewardship. Figure that out. All right. Verse 24, as we we finish up this passage today. Do you not know that all those who are one in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? In the Olympic Games, there's no participation trophy. Right? Run to win. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run that way. Run in such a way that you may win. How, how, how often we don't do that. How, how much in our culture is telling us the opposite. You know? You're good. You're okay. I'm okay. 
It's great that you just showed up, you know. Paul says, no. If you're in the race, run to win. <laughs> don't do anything, you know, almost said half, half A, but, you know, don't do anything in a, in, a, in a lethargic way. You know, be involved completely. Put all your heart into it. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, okay, these were the Isthmian games. That was, that was like the Olympics, but it's current sponsored games every two years. Everyone who competes in the games, think of the Olympics, exercises self-control in all things. Why? They've got one objective, right? If you're a swimmer, you have one objective, win that race. And that's all you think about, right? If you're a boxer and kind of getting ready for the Olympics, you're thinking, well, everything I do, I do for the sake of winning the gold medal. That's, that's a human athletic area. And they use self-control in all things to do it. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In the games that that Corinth sponsored, they actually gave wilted celery. That's what they made the crown out of. Celery that was already rotting. And they did everything. They did for nine months. They sacrificed everything. They, They didn't eat what they wanted to, but what they had to. They exercised when they were supposed to. They they didn't go near a woman. They didn't drink wine. All these things, so at the end of it, they could get rotting celery on their head. Interesting. But we have an imperishable. We have an inheritance up above. That's such a more wonderful thing to be running for. Therefore, Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I don't run aimlessly. do Do you just run aimlessly in your Christian life? No goal? You know, are you not focused on any particular congregation? Is your attitude to just do what you want, go here, go there, go everywhere? Aimless, right? Where am I focused on something? It's an important question. I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, right? I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute, but think about a boxer getting into the ring, you know, and going like this. I'm not going to last too long in that ring. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. This is as a Christian now. I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I do that to my body so that I can continue my race. That whatever the calling, the duty that God has given me, I can continue to do it with all that I have. And there are certain things that if I don't exercise self-discipline, including the, the body... If I allow my body to be other than what it ought to be, then I am putting a huge obstacle in my own way to doing the duty that God has asked me to do. Okay? The body matters. So let's, what, what is he saying? He's saying, you know, he says, I'm, I don't never want to be unfit to continue the race. Here again, it's not salvation. It's continuing in the race that Paul is running as a believer, as an apostle. The runner... The boxer, they were vivid images to the Corinthians. Again, these Isthmian games were held in Corinth every two years, similar to the Olympic Games. A great assembly of athletes gathering to compete in a wide variety of contests. One of them was boxing. Let me ask you a question. How many boxers are going to win the gold medal by beating the air? The answer is none. Right, exactly. If you, if, now it's fine to maybe practice once in a while, but that's pretend. I want you to think about this in the Christian way of life. Are you just pretending? 
You know, are you getting in, if you're a preacher, you're getting in the mirror every day and you're preaching to yourself? You know, that's not going to save anybody. That's not going to edify anybody, right? That's what he's saying. You're not really fighting if you're pretending, right? And that means if you're just shadow boxing in the Christian way of life, what you're doing really is you're living as if there were no real battles worth fighting. But there are real battles worth fighting. It's worth fighting to save somebody. It's worth fighting to support the word of God continuing to go out to this lost and dying world. It's worth the fight. And we have an opponent. And we ought to recognize that. And we ought to be in shape, spiritually thinking. And that means putting on the full armor of God. We ought to do that. Because there are battles worth winning. If you're going to beat the air during an actual fight, you're going to get mauled. Boom. Right? You don't want to do that. And, and actually, it's the opposite. You win by fighting with one objective. When you get in that ring, you have one objective, and that's to knock out your opponent. Now, we're not doing that against devil. Don't, don't get the wrong idea. It's your mental attitude when you step into the duty that you have. Have one objective. You know, knock it out of the park. Likewise, when you're in a race, you win it by running as fast as you can to get to the finish line. Notice the intensity of that. Notice the urgency of that, right? If you're in a race and you're, you're at, the, at the start line with all the other racers and you hear the gun go off, then you say, ah, I'll get to it in a little while. No, you run the race with all you got. And that, that should be our attitude. We should have that urgency in whatever it is that we're called to do, that we have a duty to do. And before we get to that starting line, we need to prepare. A lot of people wonder why they're not that effective in whatever calling, they're not able to get to what it is that God has given them as a duty. It may very well be that you didn't prepare, right? If, if, you, if you can't really express the gospel, you haven't really prepared yourself. If, you, if you've done things that, that have made your body not able to perform in the right way, you're not prepared. You know the expression in, in, um, in training for, for athletic contests, no pain, no gain. We would never say that for the gospel. But we should say that for the gains that God wants us to make in whatever it is our duty is. Paul did. He said, I'm willing to go, have a lot of pain in order to reach more with the gospel. We should train hard. We should have self-control. We should discipline our bodies and make our bodies our slave. In other words, our body does what we want it to do. We don't do what our body wants us to do. You get it? That's hard, by the way. Our body wants us to do a lot of different things. You know, just rest and sit down. You know, don't get in any kind of conflict with anybody else. You know, that's what my body wants. My body wants me to overeat. Or maybe something different. My body wants to skip work. My body wants to do all these things. And as we do that because our body wants it, we're the slave. God wants us to reverse that. Make your body your slave. But it takes discipline. It takes what you eat, what you don't eat, and so forth. Get your body in shape. Why? To win the race or the fight that you have. See, that's what Rocky did. Right? He was, I'm dating myself, 1975. But Rocky did whatever he could. He even ate 10 eggs in the morning. I don't know if you don't remember that scene. 10 eggs, raw eggs. Did whatever he could to win and beat Apollo Creed. Or at least stay in the ring with him all ten rounds. Yeah. And the point is, if he did that, 
so that he could claim that he won a boxing match, how much more should we be doing that to win an imperishable wreath? That's the question. It does sometimes matter what we eat when we eat. Avoiding certain drinks, especially if we have a weakness for them. Abstaining from sex at times. Strenuous exercise if we need to. I'm talking about as Christians. Why? Because we should make our body our slave. It's the key to our winning our race as Christians. We don't think about it. But why is that? Because our body is our instrument when it comes to serving others. Is it not? We use our body to carry out our duty. Our body is not our enemy. The flesh inside is. But we are, as Romans 12 tells us, we are to present our bodies as a living, our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That is our spiritual service of worship. That is how we worship God. I want you to think about that. A lot of people limit worship to what happens, you know, in the, in, in the four walls of the church. They limit it to that. Now, it is that, but if that's all it is, you're not living in Romans 12. You're not presenting your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, serving others as your worship. After all, think of it. We use our bodies to preach, do we not? Imagine if I, I was up here this morning and I just did this. I'm praying for you right now. I'm meditating, thinking about all your virtues. But I'm not talking, I'm just... How much would you get out of that service? Not much, right? Why? I've used my body. Maybe I, you know, I use my hands. I use my mouth. I use my eyes. You use your bodies to, to carry out your duty in the Christian life. You have to use your body to serve somebody. You know what I'm saying? And now when you think about that, because in some circumstances, people don't do that because maybe it's not, maybe they don't really see anybody around them. Okay? Maybe they think their Christian life is limited to just listening to a message once a week and that's it. No. We use our bodies to serve one another. To exhort others, to give. If you're going to give, you have to use your body to do it. To earn the money to do it. To be aware of the needs and so forth. To lead others, you need to use your body. Can you imagine if we had elders who would never hear? And they were, they were leading us? Right? You can't do that. You can't lead people unless you use your body. You can't, you can't show mercy without your body. Okay, all these things that some of us are called to do. If you're in, here's, a, here's a really straightforward principle. Okay? Jesus said nobody can serve two masters. Didn't he say that? You will love the one and hate the other. So if your flesh is your master, you can't be a slave of Christ. It's one or the other. Make your body your slave so that you can be a slave of Christ. Present the members of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Paul did this so much. He, he gave up sleep and food and drink and proper clothing. He did without a wife. He did without financial support and leisure time. Now, does this mean that we have to do all those things? Are we supposed to expose ourselves to all the mistreatment that Paul endured? No. That's not the point. What is it? Very simply, we train hard for the duty that we've been called to do. Paul had a unique duty. He never before and never since, his duty was to preach the gospel for the first time throughout the known world, the Roman Empire. Okay, that was a unique duty. He was built for that. He was trained for that. 
He had God's mighty grace and power that enabled him to do that. That's his duty. All right, what's yours? What's your duty? What what does it mean for you to prepare your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord? What training do you need? Where do you have to sacrifice things? Where maybe it's sleep at times. Maybe it's certain foods. Maybe it's sexual urges. Maybe it's greed. You have to do without that to make your body your slave. Laziness. Distractions. How distracted we are today. That's a big obstacle to serving the Lord. No focus. Not managing our time well. And these things can become a stumbling block. The excuses you make when you can't do what the Lord asks you to do. You know what a big one is? Time. I don't have time. How many times have we said that? The question is, well, why? Why don't you have time? Perhaps you're spending too much time indulging yourself. All right? But don't freak out. Don't go on a guilt trip. Understand that the only thing at this time that the Lord wanted the Corinthians to do is to stop eating meat sacrificed to idols. That was it. Right? So don't put all this on your shoulders. Just realize there may be something today that I have to change about my life in order to live in my duty to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just ask you today to help us answer those questions, to help us look at our own life and understand what our duty really is and understand how we have to sacrifice and prepare our bodies so that we become the person who can do those duties. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, I'll invite now the ushers to come forward and pass out the communion elements. As we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we're instructed to examine ourselves. That means we ought to discern the body of Christ in our, in our correct way. And I hope you see that we had opportunities to do exactly that during the preaching of the word today. Are we using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or through love are we serving one another? Because a Christian community that sacrifices for the good of one another is a powerful witness to the gospel of Christ. You know, In Hebrews 12, we read that we are to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily besets us so that we will run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here we're given another example. It's not Paul. It's Jesus. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because for the joy set before him, his goal, he endured the cross, unique suffering. We should consider him. When we're ready to give up, when we're growing weary, we should simply consider Christ and all the hostility and suffering he endured so that he could go to the cross for us. He endured it, and he always kept his eyes on his Father. So when we grow weary and we're tempted to lose heart, ready to quit our race, all we got to do is fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross, and we'll remember once again why it is that we're running the race. He did that for all of us. He did that so that he would see many sons brought to glory. He didn't have to go to the cross. He did it freely. His reward, doing the will of his father. And his father gave him 
many sons and daughters, gave him many brothers and sisters, and we're some of them. We've been called according to God's purpose, and we have been predestined. It's a certainty to become conformed to the image of his Son. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as long as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we understand we are members of one another, understand the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and are willing to sacrifice as well, we are a great witness. We actually proclaim the death of Christ when we do that. It's with our message, and it's with our lives. All right, let's close in prayer for the Lord's Supper, Father. We just thank you for the gift of your Son. We ask that we would, every time we gather together and during the week as we remember Christ, that we would also consider that it, what our duty is to one another and to understand that that is part of remembering him and proclaiming his death. We ask this in Christ's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, I realized that I kept you long today in the message. And I, so I, think, and I, I think why I was doing that is I want to give you two weeks of messages in one. So, but I know I kept you late. Um, the messages are online, so you can listen to them again, maybe a little more slowly than I did it today. But. All right, no, remember no service uh, this Thursday or this Sunday. We'll resume with the Bible study on Thursday, August 15th. And uh, I just, just want to say to everybody, enjoy this time off, particularly those that are so wonderful and faithful in performing your duties to, so that we can all be here. And to continue to pray for one another and the different needs that we have, and especially for the lost in our midst. If you have any questions about today's message or the gospel, I invite you to speak with me right after service. I'll be in front. All right, let's close the service. Father, we thank you that all that is, for all that has gone on today. Thank you that you've allowed us to be together, allow us to hear your word, to celebrate and bring it to remembrance the death of your Lord. And as we leave today, Father, we would ask that this would continue, this worship, as we present our bodies spiritual service to you and to the brothers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.